0: Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Have you ever felt your blood boil? You know what I'm talking about. You're sitting in traffic only to see someone cut right in front of you, slam on the brakes, or... Maybe you have a political discussion these days at the dinner table and you can't believe what you hear your family saying. Just enrages you how crazy their opinion seems to be. Well, you know, anger is the focus of today's show. It's about how to identify when it's becoming so destructive that it leads to health consequences or even worse, premature death. It can be that serious. Dr. Bernard Golden is on the line. He's the author of a book, Overcoming Destructive Anger, and we have Dr. Martin Johnson in the studio. He's the founder and director of the Hawaii Center for Psychology. We're going to be talking about what anger can do, how it can harm, and how we can channel that anger into healthier, productive ways, hopefully to improve our lives. As always, you are part of this conversation, too. You can join us at any time at 941-3689, toll-free 877-941-3689. First, I want to welcome Dr. Johnson here in the studio.
1: Thank you. It's great to be here.
0: And Dr. Golden on the line. Thank you for having me. All right. Now, Dr. Golden, you wrote this wonderful book, Overcoming Destructive Anger, because really one of the things that we need to consider is finding ways to to identify how we feel, but then also find ways to actually use it and come up with strategies that work to help channel that anger to something more productive. What's, what's so bad about getting angry all the time?
2: Anger is it's a natural emotion. We all feel it. It's a reaction to feeling threatened, whether or not there's a real threat or we just feel that way. And it's also a reaction and sometimes a distraction or other negative, uh, uncomfortable feelings like shame, fear, frustration. And the challenge is to pause and reflect on what are the other feelings I'm experiencing besides anger that push me into anger.
0: Now, Dr. Johnson, we've talked uh, multiple times, and we were on the phone the other day, and I said, you know, there's actual medical science behind anger causing physical changes in the body. What are some of the things that that you can think of that would happen if you were angry all the time?
1: Well, chronic anger can lead to uh, and uh, uh, make worse a whole host of uh, physical and medical situations. Um, Chronic anger tends to leave you with uh, chronically high cortisol levels, which is a stress hormone, which is very hard on the immune system. It's very hard on the cardiovascular system. Um, It can create, uh, just on its own, uh, high blood pressure um, uh, so there's, there's whole books that have been written on um, the destructive – the physiological destructive uh, impact of anger. And sometimes when I work with people who are extremely self-focused and sort of reluctant to look at their anger, I kind of start there because when they realize they're hurting themselves, you know, sometimes that's – for some people that's the starting point.
0: Well, and I have to say, you know, I read in one of the medical journals how every time you have that that cortisol rush, that feeling of extreme urgency, oh my God, I've got to get something done, I've got to get where I'm going, you're so late, You, you can feel it in your body, you can feel that heart rate go up, you can feel that sense of tenseness, and you know, the study I was looking at showed that you're actually shaving minutes off of your life when you do that. And one of the things that that said to me is, if you're going to get upset about traffic, make sure where you're going is really worth shortening your life. Because if it's not, then you just kind of have to relax. And unfortunately, I learned how to drive on the East Coast. So it takes a lot of relaxing for me to work on that. Dr. Golden, you're staying up late to join us. And, uh, and what part of the US are you in right now?
2: I'm
0: in Chicago, Chicago. So they, they drive great there, too, I bet.
2: Oh, wonderful. <laughs>
0: I would fit right in, unfortunately. Now, one of the things that you've talked about in your book, Dr. Golden, which is somewhat unique in what you're describing, is how to add mindfulness to the practice of looking at anger and anger management. What do you how would you describe mindfulness? What kind of definition would you give that in today's day and age?
2: Both uh, formal mindful meditation as well as skills in mindfulness help us to look inside ourselves just as we might look, notice the environment around us, the air, the color, the things nearby. Well, looking inside, being mindful. to What is it I'm experiencing? What are my thoughts? What are my feelings? What are my body sensations? And mindfulness involves observing rather than analyzing and observing in a way so we don't over- They use the word over-identify, feeling overwhelmed by my feelings and thoughts, that they're passing through me in a sense like a weather front. I'm, I'm experiencing them for a moment. They do end. And so we have a greater choice to react or not react to thoughts when we practice mindfulness.
0: So it sounds a lot like the principles of meditation, allowing things to come into your brain, watch them pass by, don't just get attached to that particular thought. So it seems like a lot of it is based in in that sort of, you know, Eastern tradition. Ironically, it's west of us, but technically it's the Far East. And so it, it really, it tends to help people to, I would imagine, calm their, you know, we've known it brings the blood pressure down, it brings the heart rate down, it actually take some of those stress hormone levels, those cortisol levels that we talk about, and bring those down quite a bit. Uh, Dr. Johnson, in your practice, do you find that people are now more open to the concept of meditation and mindfulness than maybe they were 30 or 40 years ago? Uh,
1: Yeah, I think in general, um, it's certainly gotten a lot more buzz uh, in the last few years um, and a lot more attention. And it's sort of interesting that the physiological effect of mindfulness is almost the exact opposite of the physiological impacts of chronic anger. And, and one of the things I was very impressed with Dr. Golden's book is I, I don't know that he's a very, and to my knowledge, he's really the first to take mindfulness and apply it to the field of anger management. And I just really applaud that.
2: Thank you. One of the things about mindfulness, it does help us pause to identify what is that other feeling that's pushing me into anger. Some people are more comfortable being angry than being vulnerable to shame or feeling inadequate or feeling powerless. And mindfulness helps them identify and sit with that.
0: Now, Dr. Golden, you also talked about the fact that for those people who tend to be, shall we call it, hot-headed or maybe not necessarily being mindful as much as they are, just being reactive, that there's actually a genetic component to that.
2: I've seen some increasingly studies suggesting that there may be a gene or several genes that may predispose people toward being more angry, more reactive. Uh, at the same time, just as much of personality is determined by whether or not a gene is triggered by the environment, the experiences we have in, in our development, our relationships, that's going to influence it as well, whether or not that gets factored out. So there there's some studies that suggest there may be a That genetic
0: predisposition. And, Dr. Johnson, when we think about, you know, sometimes we blame our genes. Oh, I can't change it. That's, quote, just the way I am. But for somebody who really has some issues with their reactivity, in this case being anger as a reaction, Mm -hmm. can they change it?
1: You know, in my experience clinically, I've not run into anyone um, who could not uh, make progress at both getting control of their anger but control of the anger is really just just a Band-Aid first step. You're just sort of, you're angry still, but you're repressing it. You're not acting out. So I'm not hitting the car in that's front right. of me, so even though thing. he cut right.
0: in front of me mm-hmm. and I want to. But your blood okay. pressure
1: is still high. You're still in a state of anger. And, and, and you know, truly, and I'd be interested in Dr. Golan's uh, feelings about this, really the, the work isn't done until our reactions are different. Now, now there is such a thing as healthy anger, and and we all get angry sometimes. But this sort of chronic reaction, this this proclivity towards you know boiling, um, that can that can change. But it, there's a lot of steps involved in that. But I really haven't met anyone uh, who wasn't able to make significant progress if they intended to.
0: Doctor Golden, you've seen folks who have been able to reverse their patterns, should they need to. Uh,
2: definitely, and uh, some more than others. One fellow came in and he said, You know, I realize I'm yelling at my screaming at my clients, I hang up on them. At the one session he realized my expectations are unrealistic. So now when I see they're angry I ask them, Okay, if you're angry you have some expectation. So what were you expecting? What that one bit of information did was to help him manage his reactivity. But he didn't go further in terms of looking better at what are the feelings he's experiencing. What is the key desire behind his anger arousal? Anger is very much about some key desire, trust, uh, justice, connection, uh, sense of empowerment. So we didn't go deeper, but again, uh, we practice skills, and some habits are easy to change, and some people will practice a lot over a long time. make great change. Others make uh, more behavioral change. They may not act out the anger.
1: One of the things I've noticed over the last 15 years or so is uh, it used to be that if someone came into my office saying, I want anger management, my first question would be, are you court-ordered? Huh. And the answer was almost always yes. Oh, the judge wow. told me I have, I have to, do, to this. do this. That's right. Okay, I, um, I'm
0: not court-ordered. I will drive better, I swear.
1: <laughs> but today I see people coming in uh, for anger issues um, much more frequently who are not court-ordered, who are not involved in violent altercations, uh, but who are realizing that their anger is um, hurting their business, uh, hurting their professional life, hurting their intimate relationships, their family, um, and they want to make that change. Um, And and so long as they're motivated to make that change, um, you know, it's, you know, then the, so long as they stay with it, the change happens.
0: So really it has a lot to do with, somebody's ability to have some self-insight to recognize there's a problem unless of course they're court ordered but but even if they are to know that there is a problem and then to really be motivated to change that uh, dr golden if you could think of some simple opportunity or technique that we could use that anybody could use whether or not they have a true anger problem but they might just be super hyper-reactive at certain circumstances. What are some of the things that somebody could stop and do? Is it just deep breathing? Are there some questions we can ask ourselves? What can help us go from, I think I'm just getting angry all the time too much at you know at work, at home, at, in the car, wherever it might be. What can help us to even be able to identify that it's a problem?
2: Uh, the more we do relaxation exercises, and what I mean by that is, a body scan, feeling our muscles relax or be tense, so we know when when, we're, when the anger does come, we can evoke physical calmness. Without the, without the practice and rehearsing, it doesn't uh, occur. Do a body check in daily. Ask yourself, what am I feeling right now? What is it? What am I feeling in my body? What am I feeling emotionally? Uh, I include an anger log in my book, which I encourage. Uh, clients and readers to review an incident after they're calm enough to to review it and to identify triggers or their hot buttons, the patterns of their reactions, and practicing skills in compassion and self-compassion as well. Uh, Being able to sit with that discomfort that triggers me into anger is a very powerful way of self-soothing, calming oneself.
0: And Dr. Johnson, in that sort of situation, when does anger become... Destructive. It's one thing to just be, you know, aggressive when you drive or to say, okay, I'm feeling really angry because I'm having this discussion with someone who definitely doesn't agree with my point of view. Whatever it might be, how do you know it's becoming a problem? When does it become disturbing enough that you really should be seeking some professional help?
1: Well, you know, I I know that a lot of people uh, decide to come in uh, for treatment. When they realize sometimes often when it's other people telling them, do this or else I'm out of here. It's the employer. Right. It's the spouse um, or it's seeing the hurt in their children's faces or sort of realizing that they're replicating an angry pattern um, that they've seen in their family before that they swore they weren't going to do that. And now they catch themselves doing that. So so usually there's either some external cue, someone close to them, either professionally or personally, or there's an internal cue, which is like, wow, I didn't like this, and now I'm on the other side of it, doing it.
0: It's like when you realize you're turning into your parents.
1: The, often, oftentimes, right? That's a scary mm-hmm. thought. Yeah.
0: I know my brothers are laughing right now as <laughs> I say that, thinking, we told you so." so. And Dr. Golden, now the book that you wrote, very, very compelling about ways in which we can take a look at, if we have a problem, to try and, as you mentioned several times, soothe ourselves. Do you feel like a lot of times that the anger is really just our manifestation of not having our own needs met?
2: I see anger as actually an outgrowth of a need for self-compassion. I'm feeling pain, and when I focus on other people or the situation, I'm distracting myself from experiencing perhaps shame, uh, inadequacy, frustration. So it starts out in my mind as an attempt at self-compassion to ease our pain. And it is a really a reflection of inner pain. And when people can then sit with that discomfort, there's less of a need to act on it or to react to it.
0: And when you say sit with that level of discomfort, you know, sometimes people will say, I feel, you know, I feel very angry because you know, I'm, I'm stressed or I have... There's so many people who want so much from me and it's I, there's so many expectations. I don't know how to meet those. How do we sit with that sort of sensation or feeling without wanting to immediately just make it go away? Well, that's what takes
2: practice. Anger is a habit in the way we think, feel, and behave. And so rehearsing those relaxation exercises, uh, recognizing the negative feelings that push us into... Anger, recognizing that many of our expectations may be unrealistic, or we hold on too rigidly to them. So it does involve practice in turning in our attention to see what we're contributing to our own anger reaction. For example, one quick reaction that many people have was, or is, it's happening again. And once they do that, they're really saying, I'm revisiting pain from other situations as well. And that makes anger so much more intense and often unwarranted by the specific triggering
1: event. You know, I wonder, Dr. Golden, if you could talk a little bit more about self-compassion and maybe give an example. My experience is that people coming in uh, who are dealing with a lot of anger may be on their own striving to do things like forgive and forget more and and, and sort of um, change their view of others or this external way of working in the world. But self-compassion may not be intuitive to them, and they may not intuitively see the link. And I think you you'd lay that out really nicely in your book.
2: Right. Of the uh, three areas of practice, the self-compassion is ch- perhaps the most challenging. And it's based on research in the last decade that says when we think thoughts of compassion for others or for ourselves, it actually has a calming effect on our body, like decreasing cortisol. Uh, other research suggests it increases oxytocin, the hormone that, Mm-hmm. feeling that, that love hormone, feeling warm and connected in ourselves. And some people are able to practice those There exercises to evoke your compassionate self. We all have different selves. Some good person could be a husband, a father, a, a teacher. But the compassionate self is always dormant, but it takes rehearsal and practice. And then turning that on our own pain and saying, this is hard, this is difficult. Is what pain feels like. It does take practice. Some people get much more uncomfortable initially doing these exercises because, for some, it raises their cortisol, especially if they have turned away from being compassionate or, as a, as a person growing up, didn't get enough and so they denied the need for it. So uh, it does become challenging and probably the most challenging of the. Mindfulness meditation, mindfulness practices, as well as just increasing self awareness skills.
0: Well, there's certainly a lot that we can learn from the entire idea of addressing what our needs are, making sure that we are acting compassionately towards ourselves, but also towards others as well. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Martin Johnson. He is the founder and director of the Hawaii Center for Psychology. And I want to thank Dr. Bernard Golden calling in from Chicago. He has written the book, Overcoming Destructive Anger Strategies that Work. It's available wherever ebooks are, but also Amazon and any bookseller that that, uh, it sells books, and if if you 'd like to get that that's it 's an excellent resource I have to say i 've gone through it, Dr. Johnson has gone through it as well, and it 's a really compelling way to look at ways that you can address anger when we come back i 'd love to hear from some folks, maybe you know somebody who has had an anger management issue, and we 'd love to hear from you about how that how you understood it was a problem and how you were able to address that. You can join us, as always, at 941-3689, toll-free Neighbor Islands, 877-941-3689. We'll be right back. Stay with us. This election goes somewhere new.
3: I'm David Green in Peoria, Illinois, for our election series, The View From Here. Explore issues on the ground level. stopped in a community that's confronting the question of whether the political system in the United States is broken.
4: And meet people from all
2: across the country. The revolution is happening. It was a quiet revolution that started out, and that's why there was no Big Bang. To understand
0: the voices behind the votes, listen every day.
2: Weekdays at noon. Eric Weiner thinks we could all try to be a little more Canadian. They are polite, and I think that's an underappreciated art. Simon Winchester looks at pending conflicts in the Pacific Ocean. The Americans have regarded the Pacific as essentially a gigantic American lake. And enjoy summer in
1: Slovenia.
3: You really come, you know, up close and personal with the Alps.
1: On the next Travel with Rick Steves. Tuesday at 4 p.m. following fresh air. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Nohea Gallery, Kaiser Permanente, and Hastings & Pleadwell, a communication company.
0: Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and we just heard from Dr. Bernard Golden. He is a psychologist who wrote Overcoming Destructive Anger Strategies That Work and shared with us his expertise calling in from Chicago. Now we have Dr. Martin Johnson. He's been here since the top of the hour, and he is the founder and director of the Hawaii Center for Psychology. And we're going to talk some more about anger in general. So we've decided that we know it's a problem when somebody else tells us, hey, fix this or else, whether it be a court, a spouse, an employer, et cetera. And I think some people may be self-aware that, Mm -hmm. okay, I'm getting way too upset about this somewhat minor situation. I kind of need to calm down a bit. Mm -hmm. Um, You mentioned that you haven't found anybody who hasn't been able to change some element of their reactivity or anger behavior. What would be some of the techniques that would help us? Like I often think you know, like as I drive in in the car, one of the things that I recognize is wanting to hit other drivers is a really bad plan. As mm-hmm. a doctor, that do no harm thing <laughs> should not include hitting other cars. So, you know, you take a look at the situation and you say, what is the worst thing that happens if I arrive five minutes too late? Nothing. Mm-hmm nothing bad. Mm -hmm. So looking for me at consequences, what is the worst thing that happens if my biggest fear is going to come true, makes me realize it's silly for me to get worried about it. No big deal. Mm -hmm. But that may not be the case for some of the situations people are angry about. What are some of the things that people could do to help themselves look at why they're so upset and how they can kind of ask themselves some questions to give some insight to the situation?
1: Well, you know, road rage or anger on the road is a, is a pretty good example because we all have some experience of it. Um,
0: Probably victims of my car. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: I won't comment on I'm that. I'm not that bad, I swear. So, um, but, so I often tell people that what's going on with the other driver is a story we'll never know. But we always fill in that story with our own made-up stuff. And if we fill in that story with I'm stuff that – I'm smiling.
0: I can, like, picture it. I know it. It's always those darn little tiny cars. that are sneaking mm-hmm, in. Right. Yeah, it's I like, have a whole story. Yeah.
1: So, you know, so somebody cuts you off in traffic or doesn't let you in. We make up a story. It's because, you know, they're selfish or it's because they don't like my car. They think my car is too hot or too humble or I'm this person or that person or, you know, I'm a guy or I'm a woman. Or So we make up this This reason why it happened, and who that other person is, and what kind of person that is. And none of that is true, by the way. It's It's not false. It's all made up. So I encourage people to first become aware of what they're making up and then make up something different. So, for instance, somebody cuts me off. Well, you know, maybe they ate a bad taco for lunch and they really need to get off the highway, you know, and I'm glad I'm not them. So I'll just give them some space and wish them well, right? Or their wife is giving birth to their first child on the back of the seat and he really – and God bless them, right? And wish them well.
0: So use that creativity we to come up with a good know. reason. We know. It's a yeah.
1: mystery we'll never know. And it's just something that happens. And what we make up in our head isn't for the other person.
0: It's for us. It doesn't
1: change them one whit if we're angry or if we're not angry, right? They're already off the highway or they're going on their own way. It's for us. It either makes us angry if we make it up that it's a threat, right, as Dr. Golden says, or if we make it up that it's not a threat. They were just, you know, in a hurry. They just need to go somewhere. They're just careless maybe, but, you know, we don't need to get on and on about them.
0: So use that creative force for Mm -hmm. the stories that you're making up that are ridiculous. I hate blue cars. I mean, I actually had a blue car once, but whatever. (laughs) Whatever story you've come up with that use that same creative energy towards some sort of Compassionate response towards that driver and distance yourself from from their bumper, first of all, but literally, but also from that that story that you're creating that is a negative. Okay, so that's a good scenario for being in a car. What if you're working with somebody day after day that drives you crazy and now all of a sudden you start projecting You know, you're working with them, they're annoying to you, but now they drop their pen and it's too loud. Mm -hmm. Or they cough and sneeze and it's just unexpected and disturbing. So Mm -hmm. now you're going from rational behavior to like completely irrational. You know, they walk down the hall and you're like, their shoes are too loud. How do you come back from something like that?
1: Well, you know, I'll even go back to the so-called rational behavior. The person doesn't do their job very well or they're very slow to do it or they're basically incompetent, and we think, well, they should do it this way. They should respond that way. They should, they should, they should, they should. And maybe it's true that according to the rule book, they should be doing it differently. Too bad, folks. You know, we don't control that. So this is who they are. This is how they are. And what we get to control is how we respond to them. And, you know, again, it's like we can get all ginned up and angry about it. But again, not for their benefit, for our benefit, we can come up with a different way of interacting, right? If they really aren't self-motivated, maybe there's something that will motivate them. Um, You know, I'm in this town. I'm a big fan of bringing malasadas, right? Have you brought them any malasadas? And people look at me like I'm crazy. Like, why would I bring them malasadas? Because you need them to help you and they wouldn't help you otherwise. So maybe we can try with a little bribery or a little goodwill or a little. Probably everybody's irritated by this person. Nobody's bringing them malasadas or stroking their ego or helping them out. And so you're going to be the the favorite child now and maybe they'll work for you. Maybe they won't. But at least by extending kindness, by extending um, an olive branch, right, you're changing your own mood. You're changing your own behavior. Right, it's a, it's a bit of compassion, as Dr. Golden would say, for the other and for self, and and it doesn't promise that everything goes better, but it won't go worse. And spiraling down into the angry scenario pretty much guarantees it's going to go worse.
0: Well, and you also get to eat some malasadas. Now, what if yeah. your your complaint about their behavior is completely unreasonable? Like, how would you go from, you know, there's if if you're the person who's getting angry. Because you think someone else's behavior is out of line, Mm -hmm. but everybody else thinks you are the problem, not them. How do you ever identify that? Is there any way to to bring insight to that? That when do you realize that your complaint about dropping the pen too loud or sneezing too loud? is completely ridiculous and totally out of line if no one in your environment actually tells you. Should you, like, use the malasada test? Okay, if people all bring me malasadas, (laughs) it probably means (laughs) I'm the one. I'm the problem, right? Um, You know,
1: my experience is uh, that people who are the anger problem um, realize that either when they see the pain in others' faces, like especially their children, I've had people come to me and go, you know, I just lost it and I was just screaming at my kid the other day and I looked in his eyes and I saw the pain and I was just horrified and I realized in that moment I have to do something. So, so they'll recognize it that way. Um, in the office, it's usually when they get pulled aside and, and Human Resources or the boss or somebody else sits them down and says, this is a problem and you need to do something about it.
0: And then really it's obvious.
1: Um so hopefully at that point, they have a choice. Yes. Yeah, right. yes, somebody
0: says you want to work here or not, mm-hmm. you have to figure out how to handle this behavior. Mm-hmm. And if you don't, then there's the door. I mean, mm-hmm. literally it could be that mm-hmm. serious. Right. What are some of the easy ways, you know to to look at? Anger management is something that we talked about telling a different story, identifying the person who is the source or the presumed source of your anger and reaching out to them, trying to establish a different relationship with that individual. What if you're powerless? What if it's a situation where you can't, you know, maybe you're upset about the government, you're upset about Mm -hmm. Medicare, you're upset about health insurance, you're upset about something where there isn't really an identifiable person or object, mm-hmm. and it really has more to do with maybe you are being persecuted or you are being mm-hmm. unfairly treated, sure. and it makes you angry, mm-hmm. and you want it to be different, right? but you really have your hands tied as far as your ability mm-hmm. to change the circumstance.
1: You know, one of the things that Dr. Golden alluded to um, when he was talking about self-compassion is that behind the anger or with along with the anger is almost always this other emotion that is an unpleasant emotion. It's hurt, right? It's shame. Um, It's embarrassment. It's some feeling we'd prefer not to feel. And so for some people, all they feel is anger, right? They're unaware of these other feelings. So the first step is to get in touch with, I'm angry because they insulted me. I'm angry because they are persecuting me. I'm angry because they are being unfair, and that hurts my feelings, right? I'm hurt. If we can get in touch with with our other feelings, right, now we have some choice as to what to do with our hurt, other than be angry, right? It doesn't make it doesn't magically make it right when somebody's being unfair to me. But if I can stop the anger, which is not helping me, and realize I'm angry at them because they're being unfair, now I have a choice about how I can approach them to perhaps remedy the situation, or if I can maybe I need to leave the situation. Or but now I have some choices and some awareness as to what's really underneath or behind that anger.
0: Instead of feeling backed into a corner, Mm -hmm. take a little control and see what you can do to address the situation. Mm -hmm. All right. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Martin Johnson. And today we are talking about anger management. And if you know anybody who maybe needs some help with anger, it would be interesting what sort of things that you've identified as a source as to why you think that this other individual might need help. We'd love to hear about your insights, about what your thoughts are on how to identify the troublemaker. And maybe if you find out it's you and we'd love to talk to you, you can give us a holler at 941-3689. Toll-free, Neighbor Islands, 877-941-3689. Uh, Dr. Johnson, sometimes I think about these these horrible scenarios where you know, and maybe I should just stop reading the paper. That that would probably help a lot of it. But I see these scenarios where you see that, like, different countries are polluting the environment and getting away with it. Or somebody's like, you know... We've always said that this, you know, this particular problem was going to happen. And now it did in, you know, oil spills. We knew that there was going to be a problem. We told you guys it was going to be a problem. Now you spilled the oil. The only answer you have is, well, let's just deal with the reality of this situation, as if not accepting your level of responsibility and not going through the motions, if they are just motions, of apologizing, remedying the situation whatsoever. I find that sometimes when you look at what's going on in the media, you can just get angry about the fact that Mm -hmm. people are being taken advantage of or persecuted or you hear about shootings in Orlando and you think, what makes someone think it's okay to go to any club and kill any other individual? How do do we even move forward as a nation when you get so upset about these things? In that scenario, how can you get yourself out of that corner?
1: Well, you know, it's really interesting. And and years ago I used to do a lot of – uh, press requests. And I noticed very distinctly that I would get the call after something really horrible happened three days later. The first day is the news cycle of this happened. The second day is, and now we're following up and interviewing this witness and that. And the third day was, and now some psychologist is going to answer the question, how can this horrible thing happen? And one day as I was wrapping up, I turned to the reporter, I go, when are you going to come talk to me about good news? And they looked very puzzled and they went, never. We're okay, really, that's optimistic. We're, we're really no because we're really psychologically attuned to pay more attention to threat, true, than we are to pay attention to benign, good news, vague comfort, because we don't need to attend to that to stay alive. Hmm. So the media needs to get eyeballs on the page or you know listeners on the you know on the air or eyeballs on the set, and so the media, the news, you know, basically covers bad news. Count in a news segment how many stories are good news and how many stories are bad news. The, the good news maybe comes every once in a while at the end of the broadcast as a human interest story. And, you know, they rescued a kitten and it's all very nice, um, you know, because that's really what the news is about. So we can blame the media or we can just sort of accept that media really covers bad news, covers threat. And there's a reason psychologically why we watch it.
0: Sure, there's that fight or flight response.
1: And it's not a bad idea to every once in a while take a break
0: take a news break,
1: you know, just, just stop listening to the news for a week, and the world will continue without you. And you may be a little at loss for cocktail conversation, but you can think of something positive to say instead. Um, and it really does sort of give us a break, because we do sort of get keyed up, in and now it's a 24-hour news cycle. When I was growing up, it was, you know, once a day. Um, so it's very easy to get wrapped up in all the horrible things happening in the world. And at the same time. You know, we're living in an age where life expectancy is longer. Um, You know, uh, death and war is actually less frequent than it's been historically. Um, You know, it's actually kind of good news, but you wouldn't know it by listening to the media.
0: That's very true. And, again, they may just be responding to what they think the public is interested in.
1: And I know psychologically that we pay more attention to threat and bad news than sure. we do to good news.
0: All right. We've got a caller on the line. We have Jock on the line from the North Shore. Welcome to The Body Show. Uh,
3: thank you, Kozak, and uh, to thank, thank the other doctor for me, please. Uh, it's very important nowadays for people to be able to understand their anger, and I was wondering if the doctor had heard of a Tibetan, American Tibetan Buddhist nun who runs a uh, Nabi in Nova Scotia. Her name is Pema Shodron And she writes a very, very interesting book about all these things that you're, you're saying. Uh, and the book is called When Things Fall Apart with a subtitle of uh, uh, Hard Advice for Hard Times. And she and she stresses uh, about, you know, in their meditation techniques, uh, understanding, you know, all the reasons, the underlying reasons why you do get upset and, and perhaps to try... A couple of techniques, like basically driving all the blame onto yourself, is one of their one of their models. But in in their study of the of the opposites, all the nice things that we enjoy in life, like pleasure and pleasure and uh, gain and and fame and, and all these things, that there's the other side, of the disgrace and the loss and the, and the pain that we also need to uh, absorb. Although she also says in her book that it's important not to forget that in, in your striving for attainment of, of compassion and nature is the word they, they use of loving kindness, not to forget to have a sense of humor.
0: Well, Jock, that, that really is a lot of really important, interesting information. And yes, I've heard, heard of Pema children and I think there's a lot of people out there who are able to take a look at the ways in which we interact with society and try and find ways that we can Look inward to figuring out what really is driving our thoughts, our behaviors, our actions, and try and find ways to really focus on that as an opposite to what we see going on in the external environment. And there's a lot of great techniques, and I'm far from an expert in mindfulness or in trying to to work on meditative techniques. But, you know, a lot of folks in the Eastern tradition have become experts at this. I think it's only now that Western medicine is really taking a look and saying there's something to it. You know, it's not just all about let me give you more blood pressure pills to lower your pressure. What if it's about learning how to lower your stress levels, learning how to do deep breathing exercises? You know, just a couple of weeks ago, the Journal the American Medical Association looked at mindfulness as one of the ways to help us to alleviate the opioid a- uh, epidemic. And that's, you know, the Journal the American Medical Association is sort of one of those very popular journals that looks at different ways in which we can improve in the medical world. And for JAMA, to be quoting mindfulness, mm-hmm. was sort of, groundbreaking. They don't usually do research in these areas, but they literally looked at it as a way to help people with pain control, get in touch with your body, Mm -hmm. get in touch with what's going on. We're really seeing a movement in that direction. Mm -hmm. And I think it's definitely a necessary one. Mm
1: -hmm. Well, you know, um, the caller makes a very good point that, you know, compassion is important. Awareness is important. Um, I like that he ends with remember to keep a sense of humor. You know, in, in the body. Uh, the body will create endorphins, which is sort of a natural opiate, right? And there are three ways that we generate endorphins. One is exercise, but we have to exercise a pretty intense period of time to get runners high.
0: That's that's quite an uphill battle.
1: It is. Yeah, it's quite a bit, literally. Um, and um, another way we create endorphins is is sex. And Dr. Johnson's uh, definition of good sex is any sex we have that three days later we're still happy about. Right? <laughs> And then the third way that we generate endorphins is through laughter. Now, exercise is great and important, but we it's not always available to us. And sex is very important and great. But again, it's not always appropriate in the moment. Laughter is pretty versatile and it's pretty quick, right? I once said this to a young lady who was working with me. And as I finished my little talk, she her face got sort of concerned and she looked far away. And, and, and I was like, let her think for a moment and then I'm, started getting concerned myself. Had I offended her in some way? And I go, so what are you thinking? And she goes, oh, I'm sorry. I was just trying to figure out if I could do all three of those things at the same time.
0: <laughs> Let's hope not. Uh, that's triple endorphins, but that probably would be scary. All right, but I think you're right. If we just take a look at just trying to figure out ways in which we can help ourselves to feel better, mm-hmm. that can help counteract some of the stress and the projection that we have mm-hmm. when we're getting so upset about things that are dragging us down.
1: And humor is something that's free. We can be yeah. humorous within ourselves. I always I always use the the bad taco, you know, food poisoning thing getting off the highway is the reason why the guy cut us off because it's Oddly, somewhat vaguely humorous, right? We want to make it uh, you know. I think we've all probably
0: been there. Yeah, and then it's Maybe not from so tacos. Funny, right? And you're yeah, like, okay. uh-oh. So, uh,
1: but but humor is free, right? Um, if your life is a movie, the truth is we can't always control the plot line. What happens to us? Bad things sometimes happen that we can't control. What we can control is sort of the soundtrack of the movie, the underlying emotional tone, and if you change the soundtrack of a movie, a tragedy becomes a farce. And so I long ago discovered that my life or decided that my life is sort of a Seinfeld episode. <laughs> you know, so Kramer is always bursting into the living room and, you know, there's some bizarre thing going on. And But when I hold it that way, it's like, oh, it's like, what now? Not like, oh, what now? But like, oh, my goodness, what now? Like with a little enthusiasm and a little like, oh, this is just funny and bizarre. You know, it's much easier to go through the day. And what could have been very stressful is now sort of sort of humorous and interesting and and uplifting.
0: I gather you're Jerry.
1: Um, I'm probably Frazier on a guest episode. Yeah, right.
0: Okay. All right. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Martin Johnson. He is the founder and director of the Hawaii Center for Psychology. We're talking about ways in which we can address anger, anger management, and even just generally finding ways to to change our perception of what's going on, which may just change how we feel about it, which physiologically can change our body. We'll talk about that more in just a few moments. If you have a question about anger, if you know somebody who has really been able to conquer that, have they found any techniques that you've found are particularly helpful? We'd love to hear your expertise because we all have a little bit of stories to share with one another, and that can make a huge difference. You can join us at 941-3689. Toll free from our neighbor. Islands, 877-941-3689. We'll be right back. Stay with us.
3: Britain's out. Americans
1: say what? I just know that there was a vote uh, taken this week and apparently they're leaving.
0: I saw it on the news this morning and I'm glad when countries start giving up their sovereignty. You know, it's it's dangerous. I'm Kai Rizdal.
3: Now,
1: what do we do? That's next time on Marketplace. This evening at 6, following The Body Show. Hi, this is Ray Cruz inviting you to join me on Wednesday nights from 8 to 10 for Latin Beat. I'll be playing classic Afro-Cuban Latin jazz, Latin big band classics, and share the latest releases in Latin jazz. That's Latin Beat every Wednesday night from 8 to 10 here on HBR2. Member supported Hawaii Public Radio See you then. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Straub Clinic and Hospital and Gourmet Events Hawaii.
0: Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Martin Johnson, and he is an expert and the founder and director of the Hawaii Center for Psychology. Today we're talking about anger management and really any particular emotion that kind of gets out of control in our lives. And so, you know, right before the break we were talking to uh, to Jock from the North Shore, and he's looked at some of the Eastern medicine traditions as ways in which people can address sort of this insightful think about what's going on and techniques to really help people to identify when there are problems going on in their lives. If we were to look at, you know, anger as, a, as, a, as an idea or as a concept or pretty much any emotion that's on overload, what are some steps that we could take to help change this entire milieu? What would be the first thing we would have to do? I imagine identify what the problem, what we think it is, or if somebody's given us that easy answer and they've mm-hmm. said, you're a problem. Mm-hmm. fix it. Mm-hmm. Well, well,
1: yeah, certainly identifying that there's a pattern and that the outcome of that pattern is not what you want it to be. Uh, the other step is realizing that we cannot change other people. And 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 we know that sort of, you know, intellectually. But really sort of getting to accept the fact that we cannot change other people because it sort of lives like you, you may be stuck in this if you, if you hear yourself saying, if only they would or they wouldn't or do that. If only they, you are stuck trying to change other people. Um, and that's a problem for you. Um, so once we realize that there's a pattern, we don't like the outcome, and it's our responsibility and we have the capacity to change it, that's the big step. Right. Um, And without that, it's unlikely to change. Um, And once we get to that point, then it's like, well, what's the outcome that is not satisfying and what is it that we need instead? Right. I often ask people, you know, they tell me the story. They tell me the story. They're upset about it. And at the end of it, I go, OK, so I understand. And what is it you need? And they look at me like, what? Like, what a strange question. But in some way, our needs are not being met. Our expectations are not being fulfilled. Our needs are not being met. And we're not going to get them met if we don't know what it is we need in the situation, right? What is it that we're frustrated about? So another step is to get in touch with what is it we need that we're not getting. And then, again, we get to take responsibility for getting those needs met. Now, maybe it's reasonable that we would expect a mother to love us and, and give us support. And maybe our mother, for whatever sets of reasons, is not able to do that and hasn't done that very well. I'm not blaming all the moms out there. Um, but, but sometimes our expectations can be reasonable, but they're not being met. It's still our responsibility, if we're not getting what we need, to find a way to get what we need in the world in a way that's constructive and not destructive, right? So first, got to see a pattern. We've got to take responsibility for the pattern stop trying to change other people in other circumstances and then get in touch with what we need and then create a plan to responsibly go about getting what we need that usually sort of in the in a meta sense right will lead us out of a pattern into something more more uh, satisfying yeah.
0: well and i think in a lot of cases identify what your needs are and tell whomever you think could provide those needs mm-hmm. what it is i mean we all hear about don't think you can mind read the minds Mm -hmm. of your spouse, your friend, your kid. You probably have no idea what's going on in there. And don't expect anybody else to read your mind. Mm -hmm. So that if you really need something to happen, you must take the responsibility to express Mm -hmm. what it is that you need and And give people a chance Mm because they may have no idea that's what your expectations are.
1: And oftentimes I find that uh, people may be giving people a chance, but it's that same person, right?, that person in their life who has never been able to do that for you.
0: And now the expectation is they could. But
1: somehow they will. If I tell them again or I tell them louder or I ask them this way or I shame them into it or I. and, again, we're stuck trying to change the person, there's another way to get that from someone else somewhere in your life or you can find someone in your life and, and sort of generate that whatever it is that you're needing rather than barking up the same wrong tree.
0: Sure. If you know Mm -hmm. you're not going to get it, don't keep asking that. All right. We've got a couple of callers. We have Jake on the line from Palisades. Jake, welcome to The Body Show.
1: Hi. uh,
4: I just wanted to say I'm actually an occupational therapy assistant, and I've done that in the behavioral health environment in the military for the past several years. And I myself have also um, seen treatment. And one of the things I found with anger was uh, really building off of what you guys were saying, but identifying um what it is you know about certain people or um certain events that are really are the triggers for us and I, a, a big way for that for me was through journaling but also being able to associate okay if you know my you know in my case i had you know uh, family members or whatever who would behave a certain way and it would get a response out of me but also i was seeing that in co-workers and i was kind of assigning those roles to the coworkers. And once I really was able to identify, okay, this person's acting just like my brother or this person's acting just like, you know, my cousin, and this always drives me nuts, once I was really able to see that was going on, uh, it wasn't bothering me with the coworkers because I was I identified the buttons and I wouldn't let them push them. Or I'd let them push them, but the, pu- the effect wasn't the same.
0: So it sounds, Jake, like you worked really hard on trying to figure out what, Who and what in your life set you off and then really tried to establish a different pattern when they set you off or someone substituting for them set you off? How is it that you were able to change? You said they would push my buttons, but now I, it, the, re, the reaction wouldn't be the same. What helped you to go from those from one step to another?
4: Well, one of the things that I found with the journaling is, you know, we all say I don't need to write it down because I know it right now. But when, you, when I would write things down and read them out aloud, I would actually see it from a different perspective. I would see things I, that I wrote down at the moment, and I didn't even realize I had written down maybe one sentence or, or you know, certain things. And really being able to, uh, looking at, at that objectively without emotion when I was reading it, uh, really realized, okay, this person's going to cut me off, and they do that just to get a rise out of me. So when they cut me off, I know it's coming. So that, that was kind of my aha moment was being able to realize, you know, if you have a coworker who or, or anybody in your life and they do a certain thing and they, they're doing it to get that response out of you, there's nothing more aggravating to them or frustrating than that not getting the response that they wanted. Mm-hmm. And you know, we see people all the time, people do it in bars, people do it with coworkers. And for me, it was really writing down what it was about that that was making me angry you know, but sometimes just writing down what I was feeling, and I was just I'm, I'm angry about this. Well, they did this? And they do it every time. And seeing that, and being able to see what exactly it was. You know that you know sometimes people it's um you know it's frustrating if they um like I said getting cut off or if somebody starts raising their voice. And if you know it's coming, then people have actually had patients of my own say that. I knew they were going to do this, and I didn't. I didn't let it bother me, you know. Mm-hmm. So well, it's it's a matter of really for me the journaling was was exceptional for helping me to really get a a perspective on what was bothering me, why it was bothering me, and then identify it when, before it even was uh, starting. Mm-hmm.
0: Sounds like a great plan, Doctor Johnson. Mm-hmm. Journaling is that a technique that you often? tell people to use on their own as well?
1: Sure, and Dr. Golden talks about an anger log. Almost every book on anger I've ever uh, worked with um, involves some form of journaling or blogging. Or um, and it is, as, as Jake points out, it's an excellent way to sort of become more mindful of things, become more aware objectively without that emotional attachment when you're in the anger. And then from there, you can identify triggers. He's brought up a very good point. A lot of times we are sensitive to something because of our upbringing or because of something that happened to us earlier. Um, And and now we're responding as if we're back there. And we do it without awareness sometimes. And once we gain awareness, we begin to gain control. And, you know, a lot of work that I do with people is about identifying their triggers and disconnecting the wires so that when something happens, they can see, oh, yeah, that does remind me of that and I used to really respond to that. I can choose not to respond or I can choose to respond in a different way. Um, And and that's often a lot of the work. So he's raised some very good points.
0: Well, and I like the idea of reading it back out loud Mm -hmm. because I think a lot of times we think it says a certain thing a certain way. Mm -hmm. You can reread it in your head. But when you actually have to read it out loud Mm -hmm. and you get to hear your thoughts coming out of your own mouth, that can be scary. You know, uh, I think a lot of uh,
1: there's many things that go into psychotherapy. But one of the most potent uh, aspects of psychotherapy is people get to say out loud to the therapist things that they may have never said out loud before or that in the past when they said these things, they would be attacked for it or they would be shamed for it. It would be this intense reaction and allow a therapist to hear it and accept it for what it is and sort of explore it with them. And that sort of freedom to notice yourself without having to brace for some sort of reaction or some sort of conflict um, can be very freeing and and really open up a a wider awareness of self um, and how you're responding.
0: Well, and one of the things I find curious, and Jake sort of brought it up, and and I often find, and and I'm sure I've read this in a dozen different places, that if there's a certain characteristic of somebody that drives you absolutely nuts, Mm -hmm. you might be doing that same thing. That often what you notice in someone else is a reflection of something that you may have in yourself mm-hmm. that you really don't like.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, and it's, it's, it's like, oh, my God, I'm seeing this part of me that I don't like, and it's coming out of somebody else, and therefore I don't like them either. Mm-hmm. It's almost this weird kind of reverse projection. Well,
1: you know, anytime we notice a pattern of, and this really sets me off, right? I really can't stand it when people do this then, you know, the, the first instinct is, well, we people shouldn't do that, you know. And if people didn't do that, I'd be fine. But that doesn't really get us anywhere, right? So, so the next step is, and why is it that that bothers me so much? And one of the reasons could be because I do it and I don't like that about myself, and so I try to hide that from myself, and so I see it everywhere I look, and it really bugs me because I don't want to look at it myself. Or it could be that it reminds us of something that happened to us when we were younger, growing up, Um, you know, there's several reasons why that sort of triggers us. But noticing that is always, you know, in the the trade, we say it's a growth opportunity. And sometimes it's like, oh, great, another growth opportunity.
0: Um, Another one of those. Yeah, right.
1: But but really, that self-awareness is really always the first step to
0: change. And that's really what a lot of this is about, is that, you know, you aren't your behavior. And a lot of times, different things can bring out behavior Mm -hmm. that you experience. But that doesn't mean that That is exactly who you are. We always have an opportunity to reinvent ourselves at any Mm -hmm. moment, Mm -hmm. should we identify and choose to. It's really important
1: to realize when I work with people, I always say that we get to where we are honestly. What that means is it's not necessarily an excuse for bad behavior, but there's a reason why we got to be the way we are. And with just a few sessions, we can sort of gain some clarity around that, typically. And if there's stuff with parents or loved ones or other, you know. We can trust that they got to where they are honestly also. And we may never know that story completely, but we can trust that, that, that they got to where they are honestly. And sort of realizing that often takes a lot of shame off of things, a lot of shoulds off of things. And so now we, we, we accept that we're where we are honestly. And to the extent that there's something we don't like, we're free to now begin to move on and change it. But, you know, there's an old saying, you have to be where you are before you can go someplace else.
0: Well, and the only person you can really change is you. Absolutely. Your reaction to circumstances, your reaction to situations. It's not really it's not possible for you to say I'm going to change it and everyone else is going to go the speed limit and follow all of the lines on the road. Really? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that would be lovely. Mm-hmm. No, it's never going to happen. When people are are looking at their behaviors and you mentioned that sometimes you get people who were court ordered to come to anger management sessions. Do you see that even when people come reluctantly because they have to, that they are willing and motivated to make a change? You know,
1: well, for one thing, I don't do a lot of court-ordered stuff anymore. There are some great agencies for that. <laughs> There's
0: enough people that come in on that's, their that's own true. to see you. That's yeah. true.
1: Um, and motivation is a funny thing. Sometimes motivation is to get my parole officer off my back.
0: That can be um, motivating.
1: You know, when I was in training, I worked at a forensic site, and I was working with guys who were coming to the federal penitentiary, and they were forced to see me. They were not motivated to see me. I had to think, now, what will help this guy buy in? And I sort of came up with, well, you know what? My job is to help you get more of what you want out of life with less hassle. And if you think about it, that is the job of every therapist. And, and you know, but somehow, and I would tell tell the you know, the federal con, that his job is to figure out how to use me. Well, that seemed attractive to him somehow, that he would get to use the therapist to get more of what he wanted with less hassle. Now, typically, his hassle would be, I want my parole officer off my back, and I'm like, okay, then obey curfew and check in and, you know, <laughs> do things you're supposed to do, and they'll get off your back. So, So it sort of comes back around. But so motivation, you know, the motivation can start with I want my parole officer off my back. I want to get over this court order. I want to get access to my children again. Um, I don't want to destroy the next relationship the way the last one went. Um, There's lots of ways, you know, where people get yeah, right. right. I don't want to be fired. And I've worked with different people over the years in any one of those circumstances, and also, you know, in much more benign circumstances where they realize it's just not ideal and they'd like to make some improvement. It doesn't have to be that severe to warrant coming in and and making improvement. But yeah, any one of those places is just wherever we find our motivation.
0: Well, and certainly, there's a lot of different areas where we could all get motivated to make even some minor changes that'll make our lives quite a bit better. I want to thank you for sharing your expertise with us today, Dr. Johnson, here in the studio on The Body Show. It's my pleasure. We're gonna to have to do it again. And again, a shout out to Dr. Bernard Golden. Overcoming destructive anger strategies that work. A good way to use mindfulness in the practice as well. If you'd like to hear the show again, you can click on HawaiiPublicradio.org. Follow the links to the body show. You can also find us on Facebook. Our engineer is David Chong, our executive producer, Beth Ann Koslovich. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We will see you next week. We are going to talk about often missed diagnoses dealing with thyroid and adrenal glands. If you're too tired, we might have an explanation for why. We'll see you next Monday right here on The Body Show.